It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. into your daily source for the Cincinnati Reds throughout the offseason. This is the Locked On Reds podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Carr. And here we go. What's up, Reds fans, and welcome in to the Locked On Reds podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday. Hope this Tuesday is finding you well. On today's show, we're going to talk about my favorite memory from 2019. This week, all across the Locked On network, we're talking about our favorite moments, the greatest moments from the 2019 season. And look, I know, I'm very well aware it wasn't a winning season, it wasn't a playoff season. That doesn't mean that there weren't moments, and my moment in particular is a moment that will spearhead the next 5, 10, who knows how many years of moments. But I want to get to that in just a moment. And also, we have Cam Miller in to talk about Riverfront Stadium. We looked back at Crosley Field last week with Cam, I believe it was on Thursday that we did that, and I, I've just been able to talk with him about the different stadiums that the Reds have gone through, at least as far back, we'll even get back in uh, next week, we'll go all the way back to the Palace of the Fans. That's going to be a lot of fun to talk about as well, but on today's show, we'll talk about Riverfront. Now, depending on how long you've been a Reds fan, you may know Riverfront a little bit more than me, and I know that Cam knows it pretty well. One of the main reasons I wanted to bring him in, because really most of my memories surrounding Riverfront were when they had knocked out center field and they were building Great American, because the height of Riverfront was obviously you know back in the late 70s, 80s, all that different stuff, and by the time I was at least old enough to go to games, it was kind of uh, on its way out. So we'll talk about all that here on today's episode, but before we get into all of that, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast on all the many podcasting platforms, and follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three Fs, and follow the show at Locked On Reds. And save the Lockdown Reds line number into your phone at 513-549-0159. I wanted to do kind of an impromptu mailbag episode today, but we're going to push that off. That's going to be later this week. So get your questions in, literally any kind of question. If you if you got like a random question, like you want to know what my favorite color is or something like that, send it to me on the Lockdown Reds line at 513-549-0159. Or on Twitter. And we'll talk about that on Friday's episode. But now, let's jump in to this. Because last season, as I mentioned before, wasn't winning season one to play. We, we all know that. And we were looking forward to this year a little bit later into 2019 than we were in years past. That was kind of one of the understated goals. 
of 2019 was to be interesting longer than you had been for the last five years. Because for the last five years, by the time May rolled around, everybody was packing it up and waiting for next year. At least this season, 2019 talking about, at least 2019, the interest extended through July and even a little bit into August. And here's the thing, though, when it comes to my personal favorite memory, and I want to hear from you, whatever your favorite memory of 2019 was, let me know on Twitter or on the Locked On Reds line. But my personal favorite memory was this. I know he's got a lot of work to do, but hey, he's just a rookie. He's just entering his second year in the major leagues. I firmly believe he's got a bright future with the Reds, and that bright future was on display very quickly. His first four career games, he played against the Giants. And what was funny there in that first game, by the way, great bar trivia thing for you in the future. Uh, When it comes to looking at Nick Senzel, his first career hit, was an infield single, basically a swinging bunt down the third base line, but an infield single nonetheless to be his first career hit. He had his first career home run in his second game, but then in the fourth game against the Giants, he did this. Slip significantly since Santa Senzel done it again. Has he done it again? He has done it again! Oh, baby. Boy, there's some serious pop in that back. Dude goes for two home runs off the Giants in just his fourth career Major League game. Fun fact, depending on exactly when you're listening to this on Tuesday, you can watch that game on Fox Sports Ohio airing at noon, Eastern time of course. We'll be on Fox Sports Ohio, the Reds beating the Giants in that game on May 6th of last year, an absolute marathon of a game because they scored 11 runs and the Giants scored seven. And there were lots of hits. And in fact, that was another game that a Jose Iglesias fan would have pointed to. But nonetheless, my favorite memory of 2019 was Nick Senzel making his debut, really doing a great job there in the first little bit, really up until they tried to tweak his swing and all that other stuff. I know in the offseason he had said, he's like, I've I've got it back to where it was when I was raking. That's what we're going to focus on. Just, you know, whenever we get baseball, looking forward to seeing his growth and his continued development as a Major League Baseball player because he is going to be a key cog in this new Big Red machine that hopefully is being built and getting going. Tell you what, coming up here, we've got Cam Miller talking about Riverfront Stadium. But before we do that, I wanted to remind you that coming up this weekend, we've got I had the distinct opportunity, and Locked On Reds will be featured in this with all of the, uh, it's got a host from each of the different Locked On channels, Locked On NFL, NHL, NBA, college, even David Locke is on this podcast. It's all part of Potapalooza, and we are supporting the charity called Give Directly. It's a nonprofit providing economic relief to the families that have been hit hardest by this global pandemic for COVID-19. And Potapalooza is all about that. It's all about 
COVID relief. You buy a ticket to listen to some podcasts. It's give as you will, so it's not as if there's a specific price or anything like that. Once you donate, you will get a ticket to listen to podcasts from Freakonomics, from which I haven't really, I don't know much about Freakonomics, but I know they're huge. TED Talks, uh, America's Test Kitchen, and Locked On is a part of that as well. And Locked On Reds will be featured in that. That's coming out this weekend, and it's all for a great cause to help out families who have been most affected by this pandemic and their loss of income. So make sure you check that out this weekend. Cam, let's start off. When you compare Riverfront, let's start with this. Comparing Riverfront and Great American, where do they differ? Where where was Riverfront maybe a little bit better than Great American? Well, I'm I subscribe to the theory that a ballpark is as classic and memorable as the teams that inhibit it. So, yes. if you have the Big Red Machine, or if, let's take them. Let's say that the Big Red Machine doesn't exist. They were just, let's say the Pittsburgh was the, the pirates were the team of the seventies. And some would argue probably in Pittsburgh that they were the team of the (laughs) seventies, but they made that ballpark famous. They made AstroTurf and Davey Concepcion bouncing balls to first base, kind of patented that Joe Morgan stealing bases because using the team was built for AstroTurf. So their success was because of that stadium. Now Riverfront stadium it was there was something about that era where every sports franchise baseball football they wanted these multi-purpose arenas and Atlanta, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, etc. They thought this was the future and this was the way to go. Now obviously at that time it was state of the art. So you're talking, oh, Astrotech, you're going to have to cut the grass. This is the greatest thing ever. You're taking away the aesthetics of it, of course. But And people to this day will call it the biggest dump that was ever created. And I understand that thought process. But the teams that inhibited that ballpark made it what it was. And the, to answer your question, why what, what was, was a little bit better than the Great American? I think that it had a charm to it that was because of the teams that played there. So you have that team and there's something about those crisp white uniforms of the Reds in the seventies, walking out to their positions on that green, super bright, perfectly green AstroTurf. You just, when you walk yeah. into the concourse and you walk down and you look out in this vast giant stadium and you see those beautiful, beautiful uniforms of the Reds in the seventies, there was something about, Nobody's going to beat us here. This is our home. This is it. now. It was the same dimensions as Pittsburgh and 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 Atlanta and Philadelphia. I mean, give or take a few feet with the with the distance, but there were there were designed the same. But there was something about Cincinnati that was on the river there, where the weather, if it was cold, you felt that Ohio River breeze coming off the river, and when it was hot and steamy in August, you just felt it. Your your feet melted to to the astroturf. I mean, if you were a player, and then and it, there was a there was a sense of this the scent of stale beer and cigars back when you could still smoke cigars in in ballparks and it was in, it, there was nowhere to go it was in you know encompassed around in this cookie cutter circle so there was something about the charm of it you it was ugly of course it was ugly but they were all ugly then they, they everybody was getting away from the the pretty ballparks and 
they didn't think of it like that back then. Of course, now you have Camden Yards and, you know, PNC Park and et cetera, et cetera. But this time uh, in baseball history, you just had this, this design. And this goes for everything in the 70s. There was just this sterile, <laughs> the way things were done, architecturally especially. But Great American has its, its spot in, in, its, in its beauty. Um, and it, it, based upon teams that play there, you have memories. And, oh, I remember Jay Bruce doing this. And I remember Ken Griffey and Adam Dunn. And the same for Riverfront, but except Riverfront, you had champions over and over and over again. And plus, of course, the Bengals played there, so you had that as well. But I, I'm telling you, if I could go back in time to a few more games of Riverfront, I would soak it all in for what it was. It was just a, a magnificent, majestic concrete palace. We're hoping here soon that we can get some championship memories in Great American for sure. Yes. Uh, yes. One thing I've always wondered, and I remember this as a kid going to the stadium, you had different cover colored uh, levels. You know, you had the red seats and the blue seats and all that. What was the story behind that? Like, obviously, I mean, teams nowadays, all the state, like, I don't think they really put that much thought into the color of the seats. They, like, pick one and, oh, hey, that's all the seats now. But why were there different colors back in Riverfront? Right. Well, they, they did that specifically, like what you're saying, for, for the seats. So when you could say, hey, we got yellow seat tickets, you knew when you looked at the chart where you were sitting. You knew where your view would be. Hey, we've got red seats. Okay, well, you know you're going to be up the top. Hey, we got the blue seats. We know where we're going to be. So that was an intentional, um, just for people that were buying tickets to look at the schedule, it was a, a, a way for them to know where they were sitting. There was no other reason other than that. It was not, there was no some grand, you know, <laughs> we got to make it pretty artistic. It was like, let's make this color-coded like you would do for files in a filing cabinet. It was the same principle. So, and it's always, it's one of those things where, you don't think you would think of it then, but looking back now, how it, strange it looked. I mean, because you went, like you were saying, you went from all red seats um, in Crosley or all green seats, Palace of the Fans, to this color-coded system, which was uh, obviously strange. But if you look at an old schedule uh, of Riverfront, you look down, it's like, oh, that makes sense. I see why they did that. It, it makes it easier for the fans to know where they're going to be. That is true, because when you look at the map of Great American, there's like a hundred different colors, and they all are arbitrary because the seats aren't actually that color. But right. Um, right. what when when you look back at uh, games that you went to at Riverfront, what was your favorite moment? Did you ever catch a foul ball? I never did, but my my son been. did. My son did next. Oh, he was nice. sitting next to me, and he got one. This was in the blue seats in the late '90s, so. He did nice. get a foul ball, and of all the games, it was I, I. I never ended up sitting in places where um, foul balls would 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 you know come my way. Now, an opening day of '87, I, I attended, um, and we were in the blue seats because my brother Chet Miller won a contest of why I like the Reds. But that's a whole other episode, my man. Nice. <laughs> he won a contest. We got to be in the parade, and we got to go to the game against the Expos. Oh, just a phenomenal day. You never yep. forget it. But I remember as a child riding my bike from Latonia, Kentucky, you know, seven or eight miles, five miles, whatever it was to the stadium. You know, I ride my bike to the stadium, I park it in the bike rack. I'd go in with a $5 bill and I'd get a, 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 a ticket for the red seats with my friend and we'd watch a game in the summer. And there was something about, you know, being able to go down there and knowing that you were going to get tickets because their games are not going to be sold out on a random you know, uh, a businessman special 1235 on a Tuesday in July, there was no going to be anybody there. So you'd always go in and of course you'd move down and try to get sneak past the ushers to get to the blue seats. That was one of the things you would try to do. Right. But I don't really have a memory for a game besides being the opening day, of course, in 87. 
I just have this unbelievable, um, I, I guess it was what drew me to, well, why I feel so honored that I got to do this later in my career, the Riverfront Stadium scoreboard. I mean, that yes. was mammoth. I mean, was it HD? No, it wasn't HD, but it was LCD uh, or LED 16-bit. You're looking at these things and you're like, holy, it's so big. It's so huge. How, how are they doing this? And learning how they did the uh, 8-bit technology and then eventually 16-bit technology. It's just amazing. So that, the creativity of that is just uh, something that you just remember because of how clever it was and how the timing had to be perfect and the advertisements that they would have on there. It was just, it was part of the charm of going riverfront was that scoreboard. Man, I, I tell you, I, I wish I could, um, I'm kind of like you. I wish I could go back and go to some games there and just remember it a lot more clearly than I, I, cause the most that I remember it was when it was, you know, kind of half cut out as they were building great American. And I remember the gap that was in center field and all that stuff. Right. That just, you know, obviously that wasn't the height of riverfront. So <laughs> thinking of that, right. Wish that they would have, I, I still believe, and I, and I, I'm, I was a proponent of um, Broadway commons. I really like that idea. And as, you know, obviously it, it doesn't make as much sense now looking back at it. And of course, being on the river, there's something about that as far as ease of access. But I was, I was really hoping that they would have pushed more for the renovation of Riverfront. I think there would have been a way to, because when they eventually were making Great American, if you remember when they cut that out and you have that outfield opened up, I'd mm-hmm. recently posted a picture of that on Twitter um, of what it looked like when they put grass in. And then they had that open up. They took out that whole outfield and it, you could see to the river and the Coliseum. And you're looking at that. And you're like, you know, with a little bit of work, this would be really cool. You would have the, the same ballpark, very fun. You obviously would have to do some structure work. But imagine you still have that history there. There'd be a sense of, oh, we still have the history kind of like how you, when they renovated Wrigley. Yeah, different now, but still Wrigley. I mean, it still has that unbelievable charm. Um, and Fenway, the same with Fenway. I, I, I just feel that the Reds, I've always been, I've always thought this, the Reds of all teams should have the oldest ballpark. They should be have yes. figured out a way, you know, to to make it work. I mean, of course, it, times are different and cities are different in the size of our market. I mean, I get it. I understand it. But Riverfront, I mean, if you had to move it to the, there in the set in 1970s, I understand. But it would, it would have been nice to see if they could have tried to pull that off. And I, but Marge was not having any of that. <laughs> that was not <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> oh, boy, that's another episode in and of itself. Yeah, that for about sure. Marge. Oh, man. <laughs> That'll do it for us here on this Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening to the Locked On Reds podcast. On tomorrow's podcast, we will have Joel Luckupt back on the show. I want to talk to him, among other things, about his list that he compiled. I think this was, yeah, this was late last week. He had a list of the best Reds from each and every state. We'll probably make fun of the fact that there's been no Reds from the state of Idaho or North Dakota. But yeah, we're going to look at that, talk about some other good red stuff. You're not going to want to miss it. The best way to not miss it is to subscribe. That way you get each and every episode each and every day. Also, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Carr with three F's and follow the show at Locked On Reds and save the Locked On Reds line number into your phone at 513 549 0159. Get those questions, comments, whatever you got, get them in. 
for the mailbag this Friday. Going to be an all Locked On Reds line slash Twitter, Locked On Reds, all that good stuff. That's the episode coming up this Friday, so get it in. Now, with this episode now having been concluded, tell your smart device to play the latest episode of Locked On Fantasy Baseball. Thanks, guys, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.